and welcome to Newsreel with Joe and Neil. I'm Joe. And I'm Neil. And today is Sunday, July 15th. And we're going to be talking about some of the crazy stuff that happened in the last week, as per usual. It struck me, though, that last week was particularly hot, particularly chaotic. I suppose it is every time Trump opens his mouth, which was a lot. I mean, when he goes to Europe for a NATO summit and he's allowed into Britain after two years, apparently, of him not being allowed in, it's bound to um, create some fireworks, let's say. And at the same time, there were fireworks back home in the U.S. It seems that every everything he either says or doesn't say, he leaves a trail of, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say destruction, but it's a trail of uh, hysteria in his wake. Mm-hmm. And it's at least partly his fault, but not all of it's his fault, certainly. So... Um, I don't know where to begin, though. I mean, do we start chronologically? At the beginning of the week, was crazy. Not in Trump land, but in the UK. I mm-hmm. mean, it looked for a second there like, well, that's it. Theresa May's government's finished. Right. With the resignations within a day. First of David Davis, mm-hmm. and then Bobblehead Bojo. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. It's, it, it stopped there. But... I don't know. I mean, that, that situation is delicate, I think. Yeah. I mean, Brexit is, um, Brexit is a, a joke, basically. It's been going on for, what, I don't know, what is it, 2016, so at least two years now. Yeah. More than two years, and it's pretty much a joke. Oh, that doesn't mean, I mean, that, that doesn't mean that uh, people aren't uh, very worked up about it, but for those who are kind of like can stand back a little bit and, uh, are not so not so involved in it or identified with it. It, it appears it has all the appearances of a complete joke. Basically, um, on July twelfth, just a few days ago, the British government produced its long-awaited white paper on Brexit, uh, outlining exactly what. Well, exactly. Not so, let's let's not say exactly that would be getting ahead of ourselves, but uh, outlining the general. Um, general details let's say of what would be involved in brexit what uh, what may's brexit strategy is what what the uk would look like after uh, after was it march or whatever next year when they're meant to officially leave and uh, no it's very clear uh, it's all sounds nice but none of it's uh, it's extremely complex <clears throat> the whole situation is obviously is complex in terms of the free movement of people uh, trade and tariffs and all that kind of stuff. I mean, what she's proposing, and this is the reason why Johnson and uh, and, and uh, what's his name, David, uh, David Davis, David Davis. Uh, resigned, is because yeah, if you look at the white paper, it more or less is Brexit, super super light, like diet Brexit, uh, Brexit more or less. I mean, you could go as far as to call it Brexit in name only, really. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> the only thing, uh, in theory. In, in the white paper, they keep repeating, uh, or they you know yeah, repeat over and over again about that there would be no more free movement of people, basically. And this is uh, a sop, obviously, or it goes to the heart of, of what Brexit was all about, which is anybody with half a brain should understand uh, what Brexit was all about. Uh, the, the primary focus of Brexit, or why Brexit happened, why a majority uh, of people in the UK voted for Brexit was because of immigration. So in this Brexit white paper, uh, May and her cronies basically repeatedly make references to there would be no more free movement of people, i.e. they would have control over their borders. There would be no more uh, of the, the, the poor poor English people 
uh, British people in general, I suppose, uh, being forced to accept uh, immigrants uh, at the behest of Europe, at the behest of a European immigration policy. So uh, that's, you know, that's appealing, obviously, to the... That's a, it's a clear understanding or a clear admission by the British government, by the Conservative government, uh, of what the core of Brexit was, uh, or, or the core reason why Brexit happened. It was about immigration. But then, as many people have said, or at least I think, I don't know if many people are saying it, but I'm sure many people should be saying it, and certainly we're saying it, is that um, the movement of people obviously is, is why it's so complex. The free movement of people, uh, as far as the European Union is concerned, is totally or very closely tied up with uh, trade uh, and economics. Um, <coughs> and the British government wants to keep most of that intact. And basically, in this white paper, they go as far as to say that they want a... Uh, uh, a free tra they want a free trade zone. They want their own little, basically, kind of EU free trade zone uh, between the EU and the UK. Uh, but so they're basically cherry picking some stuff. Yeah. And trying to pander to the Brexiteers and the people who vote for Brexit. They're English pe English people uh, uh, by the majority, basically. It's the English people. You have to remember that it's the English people in the United Kingdom that voted largely Welsh, also by a small margin majority. But certainly the English people, the ones who voted overwhelmingly for. Uh, to leave the European Union because of immigration. Uh, people in Northern Ireland, for example, voted against leaving and, vo uh, and against Brexit, and people in Scotland also voted against Brexit. So it's, you know, there's, there's the UK is divided internally as well on this topic. So it's it's a whole, it's a complete mess. And yeah, there's no, in this white paper, there's no no evidence that anything uh, has, has been clarified or that there's gonna be a deadline, this whole deadline of March, uh, 2019, March next year, it's not going to happen. Basically, uh, there's n there isn't going to be, um, and no, nothing will change in, in March next year. Basically, uh, nothing from an economic point of view, nothing from an immigration point of view will, will have changed. But then that's my prediction. Uh, certainly, nothing will have changed by, from an economic point of view because, as in the white paper, if in so in the event of some definitive Brexit deal where it actually happens, <coughs> the Tory government, the Conservative government, is. Uh, wants pretty much free trade with Europe, i.e. no change. There'll be no change for on trade at all. The UK will still be in the economic union, mm -hmm. except it'll be a little cut-out-for-itself type thing, special status type thing, but it'll be exactly the same to all, all, in, all in every practical way. Uh, free movement of people is a big problem. It's not going to happen either, basically, um, because, that's, as I said, that's very much tied up with, um, with uh, economics and uh, the, the ability for people to move uh, if, you, if, for example, the British government keeps this uh, a free trade zone, that means that British companies uh, and English companies in Europe, uh, their, their status won't change. And uh, European companies in England and the UK, their status won't change, which means those people have to be able to travel back and forth, their families, all that kind of stuff. Uh, it's obviously, it's just very extremely complex, and that's the general response to the white papers, that uh, it's unworkable, basically. Not only does it not keep the people who want Brexit happy, it does not uh, satisfy people in the EU. It's basically, from the EU's point of view, it's cherry-picking versions of the EU or aspects of the EU that suit the the, 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 right. the Brits and the Brexiteers while rejecting others. And the, the Tories have always been like that. Yeah. Cherry-picking. I mean, they had a special status before this mm. this happened. Well, um, with the currency, yeah. With the currency, of course, but there are other countries that are not in the Eurozone as well. It, that's not what I'm talking about. It's specifically, there was a, a special reimbursement mm. To the UK. I mean, they complain about how much they have to contribute, but I think they had already negotiated, going back to Thatcher's time, a special 
set of rules that apply to the United Kingdom. Um, what I don't understand is if, at least in theory, you say it's, it's even if her plan were, well, even if the white paper plan were then agreed with by Brussels and then put into action, you say it's unworkable. I don't understand, though, that if they, they hit on the gist of the issue, that they want to stay in Europe and have the best of it, but they, it's the immigration mm. and the free movement of peoples they don't want. And Theresa May made a stop to that in the white paper by saying, mm. accept that part. Mm. Why did Boris Johnson, the Telegraph, uh, and many others turn around and say treason? Mm. Uh, Johnson said, this means the UK remains a colony of Europe. Yeah. Because of all, the whole package, basically, it, it, it doesn't give him. Because it's not just for, for Johnson and, and uh, little Englanders like him uh, or, or uh, kind of <laughs> old school imperialists like him. They really like the idea uh, of, of, of Great Britain, basically. Like they're, they're, he's a throwback. Boris Johnson is in uh, a stuffed shirt, you know, snobby English twit. Basically, is is an anachronism. Basically, he, he sh he's better suited to. I mean, Trump said that he should live in. He should, he'd be great prime minister of the UK. He'd be great prime minister of the UK in eighteen twenty. That's when he'd be a good prime minister of the UK. <laughs> so he's uh, he's an idiot. And he he likes the uh, he likes the idea of of you know the heyday of the British Empire and all that kind of stuff. And so you know the Britain going it alone and being a great power again rather than just one of. 28 or 29 or 30 or whatever uh, EU nations in, in, in the EU superstate is not his idea of Great Britain. There's nothing great about that. It's little lackey Britain, you know. And uh, so him and people like him, uh, and there's people like him among the population. In fact, probably I'd say the majority of the English population would lean that way as well. You know, they've all been brought up on rule Britannia. Britannia rules the waves. Rules the, rules, rules the waves. Britain's yeah. never, never, never rules shall the be... the whales, Rules the whales as well, yeah. Uh, Britain's never, never, never shall be slaves and stuff like that. I mean, that's what they, Eng many English people are brought up in, and it's part of their DNA, basically. Uh, and it's only the smart ones who can, who can leave that behind, you know, and most of them can't. So they're really... The English people are really susceptible to this uh, hearkening back to the, the heyday, like I said, of the British Empire and the, the UK being great again and all that kind of stuff, and uh, that's part of it as well. So it's not just about immigration. Immigration was the really sore point, but there's other aspects that are very appealing to those kind of people as well, which is basically getting rid of Europe. I mean, they've always looked down on, you know, the, the English have always looked down on everybody else on the planet, basically, for the past three, four, five hundred years. So uh, they still do so. It's part, like I said, it's part of their DNA. Um, so yeah, the, I think that's always been for a big section of that population. There's always just being a member of the EU and all the things that came with it was all, was a bit of a an insult. To them, you know, and uh, certainly when it comes around to um, uh, any po a possibility or an, uh, an opportunity to to regain their independence and their greatness, a lot of people would, would support it, you know. So um, yeah, it's it's a joke. The whole thing is a joke, really, yeah. and it's you know, I'm it's, quite it's happy about it. <laughs> You're happy about it? Yeah. It's a it's a stunning situation. I mean, Theresa May is supposed to have said to um, in the meeting with. Uh, the first the first thing that happened was last Friday, the Tory Tory MPs get together. They do it on a regular basis, but they got together here to discuss the white paper. And supposedly, there were only six dissenting voices out of 100 and 200 MPs, I'm not sure. Um, and so it went well, and Boris and all the others, they said, okay, very, very good. But then when she announced, not quite published the white paper, but announced it on Monday, Boris Johnson was ready ready and waiting for his resignation. He made a great big show of it mm. where he had the Telegraph come in, take a photo of him, about to sign the document, I resign, 
it was the headline of the Telegraph. Mm. Um, so clearly there's some political shenanigans going on there. Of course, the rumor was that Boris Johnson is setting himself up to be uh, the next prime minister and waiting mm. that, you know, those um, rumors flying still are that Theresa May will be possibly subject to a vote, vote of no confidence. Yeah. But I wonder, oh, no. I mean, I suspect that the appearance of consent, at least, just among the Tories themselves, is, is in part because of the reality of the situation they find themselves mm -hmm. in. Even though they may grandstand politically about treason, betrayal, about being a colony of Brussels, they, they have enough political and therefore economic noose to understand this situation. It's, yeah. just, it's just from every angle, they're, they're completely hemmed in. Theresa May supposedly said to the Tories as a rallying cry to get them to support her white paper, you know, if we don't get this through, and you, I, if you don't stand behind me on this, Jeremy Corbyn is going to be the next prime minister. Mm. So they're beset from inside. They're beset from the outside by Brexit, mm -hmm. uh, the, the European Union. And then Trump comes to town, mm -hmm. top it all off, and he waves straight in there and says, in, in front of May, in two reporters, that he did, she did a bad deal. I would do a better deal. Yeah. If anyone lets a deal go on this long, they've done bad, and it's not well, never going to turn out right. Yeah, I mean, his point is that he... he from his perspective, he wants, uh, he would like to see the UK separate from the EU because he, his major problem of late anyway has been uh, having the, the bureaucracy, uh, European Brussels bureaucracy basically and the, the, the blocks that are, that are there to, protectionist blocks basically within the EU to, uh, against, um, you know, being exploited from a trade point of view or not even be exploited, but just it's very protectionist basically and Trump wants the EU to, would like to see uh, European countries, you know, we would like to see the EU broken up basically, but so he could then uh, strike uh, individual deals with individual countries. So uh, that's why he's very much pro Brexit, and why he said to me that she did a really bad. Uh, she didn't. She didn't. She didn't. Uh, she wasn't pursuing the art of the deal there. You know what I mean? Um, but he's got his own agenda, obviously, and he's he's for a Brexit. Basically, he's he's for her talking tough on uh, Europe. I think one of the what, what was revealed, what he, what he advised her to do was to sue the European Union. Flip the bird at them and sue. Uh, that's Trump's policy. But he's, like, again, nobody should take his, uh, take his advice as, uh, nobody in, in the UK should take his advice as being impartial. He's got his own agenda, you know. Um, but that's maybe what Boris and, and other people like him, I mean, there's the realists uh, in the UK and in, in the Conservative Party and in, in, in British politics in general, who realise that the UK is so interwoven with the European Union and it's, it's obviously its, its largest trading partner. It's right in its doorstep, 500 million people. That's not the kind of thing. And when you're in a European Union, when you're in an economic union with that, with 500 million other people, uh, you don't just walk away from it uh, and cut, cut ties, basically, because you're going to suffer. But Boris might be looking down the road. Boris and others uh, recognise that as well, but they see in their crystal ball the ultimate breakup, they see the wind changing, they see this rise of nationalism within Europe, and they see ultimately in 10, 13 years or something like that, the complete breakup of the European Union, uh, countries going back to being sovereign states, and they also see Trump and what he's doing and him pushing for individual deals and talking about, um, you know, maybe launching trade wars against the uh, European Union, which may, which may, you know, ultimately uh, speed up its, its demise, basically. So, I suppose people like Boris would be thinking that, uh, well, you know, the writing's on the wall. I see it. They don't. He's going to throw his lot in with uh, ultimately it won't be just the UK who's 
not part of the EU, but nobody will be part of the EU anymore. And then there'll be every man for himself. And the people who get on first in that new world order will be better positioned to to do better out of it. Basically, they'll be they'll start it earlier than others who uh, who will uh, you know who who wait until the collapse of the EU and then are flailing around not knowing what to do. If the UK can get out now, uh, st- establish you know a good like talk to Trump, get a good trade deal going with Trump, get a good t- trade deal going with the EU and with other countries in the Commonwealth. Then the UK can go it alone, you know, and it'll be bit well positioned in a in a new sovereign state, Western world order, uh, to to do well and better than other countries in Europe. That's maybe what he's thinking. That's the it's one know. hell of a bet to take. Yeah, but it's it's quite possible. It's I mean, realistic. Obviously, the EU is you know well you've got the rise secure. of nationalism and populism in Europe, yeah. and that doesn't seem to be <clears throat> showing any sign of of going away. Mm. Um, so it's possible that if that spreads, that ultimately, yeah, you would have... I mean, it would only take... You have a first few dominoes to, to break up the EU, like, you know, but a few, obviously, economic factors, um, but also if, if, if a few of the bigger states in the EU break away um, and do it successfully, then, I mean, you really would have a domino effect where that would kind of be the end of it, you know. It could happen a lot faster than people think, basically. You have to remember the EU is very young anyway from a historical perspective, so it's not like it's some centuries or millennia old institution you know what i mean it's about mm. 50 60 years yeah but then same could apply to nato not that well, well that's the point no nato's yeah. nato's in the same in the same but that's what they're screaming about trump about you know uh-huh. he's he's breaking but in a certain sense if uh the two go together the eu and nato mm-hmm. if if the eu breaks apart then nato breaks apart as well by definition because mm-hmm. he basically nato is like is like the military wing of the eu or the military version of the eu which include and includes america so uh, if you have nationalism, you can have nationalism at the political level in the EU and you can have nationalism at the military level as well. Obviously, the two go together, you know. Uh, people start questioning, well, if we're not part of the EU anymore, why would, we part of, why would we be part of NATO, you know? I mean, especially if there's other alliances to be made, you know, if there's other, everybody needs, you know, in theory, other country, all countries need some kind of a protector. Certainly in the modern era, that's been the case, you know, the US or whatever, but now Russia and China, you know, they can, they're, they're slowly coming online as, as, as potential uh, other alternatives or uh, alternatives to NATO as, as protectors of, of, of countries, you know. So, uh, yeah, it's all basically been thrown up in the air. The whole thing's just opened up it's over the past, uh, totally. past few years. And it's all Trump's fault, sort of. Uh, or well, Russia's fault, depending on... <laughs> well, it's not actually Trump's fault. Which Trump. do you think is the fake news? <laughs> yeah. Well, actually, it's, it's, the, it's the fault of the West. It's just that uh, maybe it's no one's fault. Maybe it's just part of a natural... It's a structural... It's a natural... A structural fault. Yeah. Like, like a... Like a, like an earthquake fault, you well, know? Yeah, or not. A, yeah, or or it's more like um, it could be more like a, just part of the natural order of things, you know. Mm. That that uh, when systems, political systems, large scale political systems on the planet reach a certain point uh, or certain conditions are right, then it always kind of changes, you know, in one way or another, you know. Um, but it's very unique uh, this time in, in history as well, you know, obviously for in terms of technology and all that kind of stuff. And so it's uncharted waters, but certainly, I mean, it's basically there's an, it's a new era is beginning. And it's, I mean, the U.S. is the, was the, was the, um, let's say, the, got passed the baton by the British Empire. Uh, and it continued on in the same the torch in, of freedom. Yeah, and it continued on in the same in the same mold, you know, of ruling the world basically. But that that kind of system, that kind of global empire and, and the age of empires and stuff, really only applies uh, applied to a certain era, uh, and it 
primarily was an era that were, when there was a lot fewer people on the planet, drastically fewer, maybe 20, you know, at least, you know, 80, 70, 80% less people on the planet. You had pretty much very limited basic technology and uh, and also mass communication was not really a thing either, you know. I mean, in those, in those, under those conditions, you can, you can have an empire, an old school, old world empire, but the world has rapidly changed in the last 100 mm. years. And right now, people are, the world is dealing with those rapid changes, the effect of those rapid changes. And one of the effects of those rapid changes seems to be that old school empires just don't work anymore. Right. Uh, you know, because you have, I mean, we made this point before, but the spread of technology is key in all of this. Um, it, it basically raises countries up. Uh, other countries around the world that were formerly basically colonies or the second or third world countries, suddenly they become first world countries. Then what do you do? You can't have a, 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 a unipolar world anymore. No. And then and, and, and the coming online of that multipolar world, by definition, implies massive chaos and changes in the at, in the seat, let's say, in the headquarters of the unipolar world, the former headquarters of the of the unipolar world, and that's the U.S. and, and kind of Western Europe, and particularly the U.K. Um, yeah. So yeah, the old school empire. I suppose it was united. Obviously, it was united by um, cultural and more simply racial connections. I mean, right. if you have a colony that becomes a nation state and it's substantially made up of your settlers, there's grounds there for sustainable, long-term, let's say forever, um, empire, Im imperial slash federated relationship between them. Mm -hmm. But uh, something like the modern configurations, like the European Union, NATO, they're based, they're based more on ideological mm -hmm. foundations. Right. And how sustainable are they? Really, it's the underlying cultural ones that will speak. There may yet be a, a, the maintenance of, of some kind of special relationship or mm -hmm. renewed relationship between the United States and Britain, obviously, mm -hmm. but also the United States and Western Europe, all of it, maybe. Mm. Um, this, the, but the, in its current configuration, the common ideology. I mean, you have to look at history and, and not and remember that we're not so, you know, people don't change and politics don't change in essence and politicians and people in general don't really change over the course of, of history. You know, they don't become any smarter really. Um, and the kind of cultural commonality between, for example, like you'd say that you have Europe, EU, and you have uh, NATO, uh, which is basically Europe and the US. Uh, Military, a military alliance, but that's all based on a cultural and even racial um, commonality. But it is that, it, like you just said, it's not really, that doesn't really hold because it's just more ideological, and it was ideological. The, the reasons for NATO and the EU kind of being created were ideological in the sense of... Stop communism. Stop communism, basically. So it was, it was more about that because the racial thing doesn't hold because you just go back a few hundred years, and, or not even a few hundred, less than a few hundred years, and all the common racial uh, types in Europe, we're all fighting each other. Right. So uh, that doesn't. There's no. There's no blood loss between whitey and whitey. Basically. Exactly. Uh, the, the two world wars. No love really, loss. Sorry, between whitey. Yeah, the two world wars are really two European wars, and that that supposedly underpins the ideological basis for European Union. Never right. again. There shall be no war. Yeah. So yeah, this is. But it was also that that was that's a kind of a narrative. Cause I don't think they really cared about that. I think it was more about. Uh, uh, Providing in, in a certain sense in, in the context because it happened right in the middle of the or just at the kickoff of the of the Cold War right when, when communism was a threat so it can't be divorced from that you know the idea that let's get Europeans together and stuff of course it was just after the Second World War so okay let's stop Europe having wars uh, again but 
certainly there would have been considerations of creating an economic block out of Europe. You know, it's a relatively small landmass with a large number of people. So, um, and to align it with the US, the US obviously was uh, uh, involved or party to the creation of the EU and didn't didn't really complain about it too much. So, um, I think from a, it was it was seen it was seen as, I mean, for people who want power, basically who would like to c concentrate power into uh, the hands of a, of a few people, the European Union is was was a good uh, good course to follow. You know. Uh, so there are various diff different uh, different reasons for it, but certainly I think it was uh, to try and turn the EU Europe Europe as a as a single kind of in theory cohesive racial ethnic cultural group into a, a major world power, you know. Whereas individually those countries wouldn't really have passed muster, you know. Yeah. About five months ago, the new Ger new U.S. ambassador to Germany, yeah, um, peeved off his host. Mm. Um, by speaking up or encouraging them to speak up, basically well, far right populist movements and yeah, nationalist he, movements. He said he wanted to empower them. To empower them explicitly. And you called it at the time and you said, he's not just speaking for, he, he's obviously speaking for Trump. Trump is trying to break up the European Union. Well, he would like to. He would like to. Well, the, there's another explicit articulation of it just came out. Um, June 29th, Washington Post headline. It's based on leaked, apparently part of what was discussed, leaked conversation between Macron and Trump when Macron went and had his bromance with Trump uh, in March or so. Mm -hmm. uh, apparently, Trump said to him during their private meeting, at one point he turns to Macron and says, why don't you leave the EU? And said that if France exited the Union, Trump would offer it a bilateral trade deal with better terms than the EU as a whole mm -hmm. gets from the United States. This is according to two European officials who, I don't know if they were present or they got it from Macron or something. So, yeah, he is literally going one-on-one. -on -one. Mm -hmm. And we also think, uh, I'm not sure if it was said, but I think he was also saying the same thing to Merkel. I mean, yeah, it's being dressed up as... It has obviously spun as just hopeless dreaming on his part that, it's, that it portrays his ignorance of how the world works because the European Union, is, you can't just go in and say, let's do a bilateral deal. But Trump is showing, yes, actually, you can just go in and do mm. that. Now, nothing sacred. Right, nothing sacred. But it's nothing sacred anymore, you know, like, what, if you can well, just... Trump's a pragmatist, you know, I mean, you can call him what you want, but he's obviously a pragmatist and he has a, a good business uh, acumen or a good business sense. And that's, he just sees the world through uh, a lens of a filter of business. Is this good business? Is this a good deal? And you can laugh at him for it, but that's basically what the world, what, you know, money makes the world. That's how it actually works. <laughs> the world turns because of, of, of deals being made in business. People are focused on business and making money and stuff, and that's what his focus is. And arguably, he's, uh, you know, from, let's say, from the perspective of someone, uh, a president or a leader of the U.S. who would do the best by the U.S., and well, what's the best by the U.S.? Let's say the best, most people would say the best by the U.S. is uh, more money, more jobs, more prosperity, basically. Well, then Trump is probably the best uh, person to, to represent America if that is what most Americans want. I mean, if they wanted over diversity and, and, and you know, world peace or whatever, uh, whatever other ideological things people might aspire to, if, if it comes down to it, say, no, listen, cut out the bullshit. If you could have one thing tomorrow in America for America, for your community, what would it be? 
people probably most people are probably saving more prosperity more money i want more jobs i want i want i'm not saying that's the right thing to do i'm saying but that's what most people would probably say and in that respect that's what trump's mandate is and that's what he's doing and he's showing he's doing it. And when, when you go around i mean there's no better testimony to the fact that trump is fulfilling his uh, campaign mandate to make america great again great again and by that he meant make america more prosperous you know get a better deal for 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 america and there's no better evidence that he is fulfilling that mandate by the fact that he's coming over to europe and trying to go on eu who gives a shit about the eu germany you want to do a deal with me no i'm sorry i'm i'm already uh i'm already married ah come on just to, I'll, I'll you know it'll be like really good you'll enjoy it what about somebody yeah take the ring off and come with me you know and uh and that's and he's you know flagrantly doing that doesn't give a shit you know but yeah. that's but how else are you gonna get you know, how else are you going to get around the EU, basically? How, I mean, Trump realizes that the EU is a protectionist bloc, and it has profited, and what he says about, you know, particularly Germany, within the EU, Germany has been kind of being protectionist uh, itself, uh, again, uh, you know, within the EU, basically yeah. getting a better deal than other EU countries. That's yeah. why it's the strongest. People go, oh, German industriousness and Germans are so hard, Arbeit macht frei and stuff, you know, uh, 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 it's like, it's got nothing to do with that. I mean, they're, no, they're not necessarily any more industrious than, than any other people in, in Europe. It's, it's that the, the Germans, basically, their economic policy within the EU is favours Germany, basically. Absolutely. Uh, it's buys, you know, the EU buys as many German goods as possible and, the, and Germany imports as few uh, uh, foreign goods as possible from other countries, whereas other, other European countries have, have it not quite so good in that respect uh, yeah. and that applies to the u.s that's what trump complains about germany in the u.s because of their cars for example yeah i mean it is i mean it's it's kind of unfair nobody can argue with him that when Ger germany gets to send germany dominates the high-end car market in the u.s By mercedes bmw 90 percent of the of the luxury car market in the u.s is german so germany sent crap loads of cars over on boats uh, every day over to Ger over to the u.s and the u.s is levying a two percent uh, tax on them when american car makers high-end whatever mustangs you know blah 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 wants to send their cars to germany germany says that'll be 10 percent tax please which obviously you know limits the, the the profitability of those cars and you don't get so many um u.s cars in now scotty might say that that's a good thing because american cars suck and german cars are much better uh, yeah, generally yeah. speaking, generally German, speaking, German cars but that's are that's but, getting but that's did, getting ideological. But did that become the way because of the pattern of the last seventy years? See, our our technological standards going down in the U.S. precisely because of what Trump wants to change. Well, maybe you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's so. possible. But uh, yeah, so I mean, the whole Trump thing though is just uh, it's kind of ridiculous to me. Um, people can't see past their own noses, you know. Question though, is he basically right that it makes basic economic sense? Does it improve? We we can't know yet, I suppose. But is it is is it really as simple as that? So basically, you slap tariffs on all these products coming into the country. That obviously makes them far more expensive to come, so they're sent less and less. So American American consumers then have, have less options themselves. in the short term, while American well, produce manufacturers yes. produce alternative right. made in America, homegrown. Right. So More jobs. it is good for America in theory in the medium term. But there's the negatives in, in, in terms of you know um, the, the 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 reciprocal <clears throat> tariffs uh, put on 
American goods going American abroad. American goods going abroad, which then hurt the economy. So it's this kind of trade-off, and it's not very clear. But, you know, you'd have to ask an economist about that, but I don't even think an economist because it's not really science. Anyway, uh, they just kind of tend to make things up. Um, they would probably say that it's unknown, you know, that it, it all depends on, on how good a deal you can basically strike. Basically, If you can limit or mitigate the kind of tariffs that are imposed on your products while also uh, increasing tariffs on, on stuff that you import, then you know you can strike a balance there, and you can you can get a better deal basically. And supposedly Trump's the man for striking the deal, so who knows? You know, certainly uh, the kind of tough talking that we've seen from him, you know, straight talking. You didn't, you haven't seen that from uh, anybody else. You know, any other your uh, uh, U.S. president, like it's just totally unbecoming. And this is the problem, I think. And this is a, it, it drives me bonkers. Like when these, you know, the average per these idiots, and by idiots I mean the average person in the world. Um, who certainly not in the world, but well, not in the world, but certainly in Europe and, and the average lefty, basically the people who are out in the streets, you know, screaming at the sky and flying Trump blimps and stuff, uh, they can't think, they couldn't think their way out of a wet paper bag, basically. They're so driven by ideology that, you know, they, because Trump said some sexist things, well, it's not even that, okay, that he said some sexist things, but because he's not presidential. That's the reason these people have a problem with Trump. So many people have a problem with Trump. I don't know how many people have a problem with Trump either because the media undoubtedly uh, skews the, the kind of uh, yeah. data on that by, by the way that it presents, you know, thousands of people screaming about Trump and stuff. Well, how many people actually agree with him? You don't hear from them. Mm -hmm. But anyway, uh, the reason these people don't like Trump at the level of the ordinary person is because he's unpresidential. Uh, and it's a, it's a kind of relatively deep psychological kind of thing because people need their leaders or expect their leaders to be better than them. They have to, because otherwise, why would I give any power over to any kind of a leader, any kind of a, uh, a pol exactly. politicians, if he was not better than me and demonstrably better than me, as in, Obviously better than me. I mean, and, and how do you assess if someone's better than you if you don't actually know them? Well, the only way you can do that at, at the level today with 8 billion people on the planet and, and people electing leaders and all that kind of stuff is through the way they comport themselves, the way they handle themselves, what they say. That's how the leaders are meant to impress on the people that they're better than them. They're meant to talk, uh, meant to use more complicated, difficult words. They're meant to dress very well. They're also ideally they would. It gets quite crass. Where ideally they would be kind of good looking, or at least not ugly. And they, they have to, you know, not use the language, use more complicated words. Not use the language of ordinary man in the street, and and be above, be morally superior. They have to be morally superior as well. Uh, now at least all that's in appearance, right? Appearance. Only in appearance, because there's no way for you to actually know whether a person like Obama or something like that, or or some president, whatever, who who is quite eloquent and charming and looks the part, is actually like a pedophile behind, behind the scenes or something like that. Or, or, something, or, 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 or something like exactly. that. You know, or, or is. So, um, but, so it's, it's, it's a very bad bet, basically, you know, I mean, where you can't actually know directly yourself the character qualities of a person that you're that's going to be your leader, that you're going to elect as your leader. It's a very bad bet just to go on, on surface appearances, just to assume that because they talk nice and say nice things that they're actually that kind of a person, you know. But the, unfortunately, that's the way it is. And Trump basically checks none of those boxes um, in terms of 
being morally superior. He's, he's, he's not meant to say those kind of sexist things. That's why that, that tape where he was talking about grabbing women by the things and stuff um, was a really not from 12, 13 years ago. It, it was a blow to him uh, and to, to public perception of him because it immediately reduced him to not just the level of the ordinary person, but for uh, for the average person below the level, below their level, a thug, a, a person that they would uh, would would cross the street to get away from. So this is the source of all of these people's uh, problems with Trump. You know, really, that's that's and it's just reaction. It's it's they don't, they wouldn't be able to tell you that's the reason, but that's that's the reason basically. They make up. They use narratives to explain, well, he's this. Because you go and ask people protesting, why are you protesting Trump? He does bad things and he's sexist and we don't like things like that. And he's not the kind of person that we like in this country because he's he's not a good person because we don't like him because he's not a good person and we don't like Trump. And that's why. Well, thanks very much. That was a very good answer. It went into a lot of depth, not. But, um, <laughs> you know, they don't know it themselves, but that's the reason. And, you know, that's fair enough. But they should at least understand that that's the reason, and then they should, if they understood that the reason they don't like Trump is because he doesn't, he's not presidential. Um, they could then go, well, but is that actually that important in this day and age uh, that a person, given what we know, given what people should know about the ability of people to pretend that they're very, uh, that that they're moral people and have very high standards and stuff, and actually they're the opposite behind the scenes. They're just doing that for public consumption. Because, mm -hmm. you know, after a certain number of generations of human civilization, uh, leaders and people in general realize that you can bullshit other people. If you tell them nice things or if you appear to uh, be interested in things they're interested in or want what's best for them or appear to be a good person, you can get away with all sorts of stuff that actually give you your support. And even when you do bad stuff then, because you've convinced them that you're so suave and sophisticated and such a good person, even when you do bad things and you get accused of doing bad things, and there's, even when there's evidence that you've done bad things, the people who have been convinced by your, uh, your suave exterior will actually defend you and say, that can't be true. So people figured it out a long time ago that that's, that's the way to do it. And, but then... Ordinary people should have access to that same information that you can be bullshitted by external appearances, you know? Uh, and of course, that applies in the opposite way. It, it applies in the sense of, let's say, Obama, who was suave, dancing, uh, uh, smooth-talking, uh, presidential-type character, you know, who everybody could look up to. Uh, it applies that behind the scenes, he dropped more bombs than, than Bush, the right. supposed warmonger, and he was, he, him and his Secretary of State oversaw the, uh, Hillary Clinton oversaw the destruction of Libya, deaths of tens of thousands of people. He also oversaw the beginning of a phony civil war in Syria where he was basically arming and funding and training jihadis who slaughtered hundreds of thousands of, of Syrian people. So that's the Obama. That's B the truth about Obama. Wall Street, no problem. Right. No questions. So that's, that's the smooth, suave exterior of Obama looking presidential. He's actually a kind of a, a warmonger and a war criminal and a murderer in, uh, behind the scenes. The same applies to Trump then. You can, you can logically apply it in the opposite direction where someone who is uh, not presidential, let's say, you know, a big kind of frumpy guy in a blue suit and orange hair and orange face who says crude things and, you know, pulls no punches and isn't presidential, he may not be uh, that bad. And so ultimately, the bottom line in all of this is whatever, you know, whatever way you come at it, you have to look at what someone does as opposed to what they look like. You know, what right. they do as opposed to what they say. Right. Uh, and people seem to forget that, you know. They can't get past it. But he looks ugly. I mean, look at him. He's a big, frumpy, orange-haired freak. You know what I mean? Uh -huh. How can I even think that he would possibly be someone I should respect? But, you know, well, then ask yourself the question, do you respect 
people who, you know, launch wars of aggression and kill innocent men, women, and children? Or, do you, or would you respect, conversely, would you respect someone who didn't do that? Because the fact of the matter is that so far anyway, in the first 18 months of presidency, Trump has been probably the least militaristic president since Jimmy Carter in 40 years. But apparently that doesn't, uh, that's of no, no, no significance, no, no consequence to people. You know, people who hate Trump, they don't give a damn that he's not bombing the crap out of some country in the Middle East and slaughtering the people like Obama did and like Bush did. They don't care. All they care about is these slogans, you know, that they've decided on. I mean, mm -hmm. on the basis of the fact they don't look like the way he looks or the way he comports himself, they call him a racist and a sexist and blah, 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 blah. But, you know, racist and sexist, that's a, well, he has a racist. What is he? Remember the Ku Klux Klan? No. Has he give, has, is there any evidence that he's racist? No. Is he sexist? Yes. Is every man on the planet sexist? Yes. What's your fucking problem? I think, I think uh, as the resident American in the studio, I'd like to throw my two cents in. Let's hear it. Because um, I think it's, I think that's kind of a rather important aspect of the Trump effect. Mm. I guess, I guess we'll call it that. Because um, I've, I mean, obviously, I spent you know part of my life living in the U.S. and I've been to many European countries now. And the one thing I've noticed is that that whole idea that the president is basically super awesome and can do no wrong, and um, you know. Like with uh, you know George Bush and Iraq, I mean I can't count the number of people who told me basically that, well, uh, you know if the president has a reason for going in and bombing Iraq, um, even good. even if I can't know what it is, I have confidence that he's doing it for the good of the country. And there you go. And I would just kind of stand there, you know, with my jaw on the floor. Um, I need to so believe. I th I think for a lot of people it is because like it's like in America you you so many people have to believe that the president is awesome. And part of the big problem is that, yeah, like you say, Trump is, he's basically flushing all that down the toilet. Mm. And whereas like in EU countries, like the vast majority of people I meet, uh, sure, initially they say, oh yeah, you know, that, uh, you know, we love uh, wh whoever, you know, we love Macron, we love, you know, Sarkozy, we love, you know, Theresa May, we love... But like very quickly, it tends to kind of, it's like the tide turns and they change their minds very, very quickly. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like with the whole thing, you know, Trump saying, grab him by the beep. Um, like, I mean, I was posted on my Facebook and ranting because it's like, you know, former Speaker of the House, Dennis Hastert, was arrested for like molesting little boys. And it's like nobody was talking about that. They're like, yeah, oh, that's just so horrible. But that damn Trump and his orange hair and he's racist and and I'm going like, I, what? Mm. So, yeah. yeah. Um, I had some fun with the uh, Corbynistas on Friday when they were protesting Trump's arrival in the United Kingdom. There was a, obviously the massive protest in London, and one of them tweeted um, his outrage at how could it's a photo of Theresa May just shaking Trump's hand, first time seeing him, right? And his outrage was, how could May abase herself by shaking this man's hand? Yeah. By, by, by letting him in the country, meeting him and shaking his hand. This is the same guy as a Corbynista who rants about all the flaws about, of Theresa May mm -hmm. and how she's the enemy and she must be replaced by Jeremy yeah. Corbyn. But in the flip in his mind, I hold you to a higher standard and I expect better from you. Mm -hmm. And I'm outraged. Like seriously? Yeah. 
did he think about it? Is it instinctive? I... Yeah, there's a massive, there's a massive mind job going on on people, and I mean, not least, I mean, obviously around Trump, uh, people just can't think straight. Uh, they they fall into extremely simple, over you know, simplistic black and white thinking. Uh, they, they completely miss the nuances of the situation. They miss the miss the historical context, and most importantly, they miss the the kind of geopolitical context of why Trump is why they hate Trump or why Trump is being portrayed in this way. They obviously they think they they see him as he is, but actually no. Obviously, the people are influenced by the media, and he is being has been portrayed since day one in a negative light by who well by the media but also by uh, people in the let's call them the deep state as people refer to them but you know the washington the u.s establishment the kind of unelected government the behind the scenes the career diplomats the intel agency types uh, have been out to get trump from day one uh, so there's two levels to this you know there's the public and, and they fit very well together and both of them have been manipulated and, and, and pushed on people you know um the, I mean, this is obviously quite relevant to the past few days and to what's going to happen in the next few days, because obviously we've been talking about Trump being in the UK and going to the NATO summit and talking to Theresa May about Brexit and stuff. But in a few days he's going. A few days he's going to Helsinki for a summit. I uh, think it's tomorrow, actually. Is it tomorrow? Mm. Uh, Monday for a chit chat with uh, his handler Vladimir Putin. Uh, you know, where he'll obviously get uh, a big, a very big spasiba and uh, a big check and he'll be sent up to a room to uh, relieve himself on some ladies <laughs> of the night. <laughs> That's what's going to happen in the minds of, of right. the Western media and many people in, 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 in Europe and, and around the world for some bizarre reason, you know. The guy's been... I mean, if you think about it, he's been vilified and defamed and, 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 and more, more so than any president, really. You know, even more so than Bush, you know. Because uh, with Trump, it got very, very personal. You know, Bush was accused of being a warmonger and blah, blah, and even Tony Blair, you know. Uh, but Trump, it's got extremely personal for him, you know. And he hasn't changed one bit. No, it doesn't seem to bother him, but, you know, I don't know what that means, but it's, uh, I'm assuming it might bother him a bit. But anyway, so Putin and Trump are going to meet tomorrow uh, for... For, for a summit, they're going to discuss uh, stuff and uh, what's going on in the world, you know. Um, and the Western media is up in arms about it, is, is freaking out about it. Um, Peace might break out. Oh, yeah, the well, there might be, there, right, exactly. There might be a detente. They might actually, which is bizarre, you know, because these are all the lefties who are anti Trump and saying that he shouldn't be meeting Putin because he's Trump, because we hate Trump, but also, yeah, they're vaguely aware of, well, they're not just vaguely, they're very well aware of the stark possibility that Putin is an evil dictator who is poisoning people in, in the UK and hacked uh, the US elections uh, and is a general all-around bad guy. And so him and Trump together is just like, you know, it's like the devil and uh, who else? Somebody else who's like the devil uh, hanging out together. It's like the devil and... Um, Mephistopheles. Yeah. Uh, having a meeting, you know, it's just terrible. But coincidentally, not at all. Uh, Mueller, the, his his inv ongoing investigation into collusion and hacking of the U.S. election, <clears throat> he just uh, two days ago uh, indicted twelve Russians for right. pretty much for 
attempting to interfere with the U.S. election by way of hacking uh, into Hillary Clinton's DNC email server and spreading information that was um, was the pitch presented to Hillary in a bad light and therefore allowed Trump to to win. Uh, now he doesn't in the in the indictment of these Russians. He says um, he doesn't say that there's any collusion. There's no reference to collusion. It's more fo- it's focusing on the hacking of the election, or the subversion of American democracy of the U.S. elections by Russians. Uh, so his focus all along has been to get Russia, yes. obviously. Obviously. But but at the same time, then the media it's like a tag team operation going on where the deep state, as represented by Mueller, their agenda, their geopolitical agenda, quite clearly, and this is what people miss all the time. What they don't understand, which would put everything in focus and allow them to see things in a much more level-headed way, is that everything that's been going on with Trump and Russia over the past number of years is of a peace type of thing, and it's and it's being spearheaded by the what, the U.S. establishment, the the, the, the kind of intelligence agencies and, and career uh, civil servant politician type people who basically are defending. It's an existential threat to them. Uh, the idea that um, there would be a kind of a detente with Russia, the U.S. and Russia, or that. More, more specifically, that Russia and China and other Eurasian countries would kind of get together with Europe. There would be a kind of Eurasian integration, which would, as a kind of, uh, as a new major, you know, uh, block, <coughs> uh, economic and military block on the planet, would, would pretty much unseat, by definition, would unseat the U.S. from from its position as as the leader of the free world type thing. And this is their agenda. Uh, and has been their agenda going back several years, many, quite more than, more than several years, really. Um, and this is why they're out to get Russia. Um, now, people don't understand that and don't understand that all of the accusations about collusion between Trump, which is just one more thing that they throw on on top of Trump, that ordinary people throw on on top of Trump. Well, he's an ugly, racist, sexist, orange-faced buffoon. So I'm pretty sure he's a Kremlin agent as well. Ergo. You know, you know, so, really? uh, but it's obviously the geopolitical context is very important. Why this Mueller investigation, which is defaming and besmirching uh, Trump and, and uh, presenting him as a as a as a lackey of another country, who's completely anti-American, uh, that's that's part of this geopolitical uh, war that's being fought between, primarily between the U.S. and, and, and primarily Russia. Um, so. Just a couple of days ago, Mueller indicts these 12 Russians uh, just a couple of days before Putin and Trump are going to meet. Really? Coincidence? Don't think so. No. But Mueller, Mueller's basically pulling those out of his backside. Yeah. They don't exist. I mean, he, the 12 Russians are GRU, which is Russian internal or Russian intelligence uh, uh, operatives. Um, people who in the know, people in intelligence, who have worked in intelligence in, in Western countries have uh, responded to that by saying, this is horseshit. How, 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 does anybody question how he knows that 12 that that the people behind this hacking of the servers and also of um, it was primarily focused on hacking but also uh, in other ways kind of like contacting people under pseudonyms and stuff contacting maybe this guy uh, Jim Stone and stuff like that um Roger Stone Roger Stone sorry yeah. contacting them uh all with the purpose of just interfering in some way with the presidential election. Now, how they know, they have no way of knowing that these 
identities, which were fake identities, are GRU officials. But in the in the indictments, they specifically yeah, twelve specific GR you know GRU uh, agents working for Russian intelligence operating out of this office in this floor of this building on this street in Moscow. And it's like, what the hell are you talking? You full, you're fully, and full they, of horseshit. I mean, they, that's they absolute bullshit. Them. They named them. Uh, I won't give you the 12 names, but they gave their real names. Right. I wonder if that was outing them um, or if they're simply, if they are operating and working and known to work under their assumed names. But if that, well, was, might, if that was outing them, there's going to be a backlash. There may be, but there's, tw- but there's I mean, there's... Uh, they, they probably have the names of 12 people who they are fairly sure work for Russian intelligence. And they just pulled those out of a hat and said, these are the 12 guys. How do they know? Because in, in the indictment itself, it's all anonymous. Right. We but can somehow... Never, we'll never know how they know because the evidence for naming these 12 people is, remains classified. But, well, it's not. There is no evidence, is the point. It's an indictment. So right. it's not actually evidence. That's the whole point. And these people will never appear in court and evidence will never be presented for this accusation. So it's complete and utter nonsense mm. because... And, and it's only understandable in the context of, like I was just saying, of this geopolitical war that the deep state or the Washington establishment or the U.S. kind of deep establishment operatives uh, or have been waging against Russia. And in that context, yes, the, the, anything basically is permission, permissible in that war because it is an existential war for these people uh, because they, they're, they're afraid of being unseated from a position as global hegemons. It's an existential war and everything and anything is, is, is permissible. The only thing that's not permissible, only, only, the only limits to what they will and, and can do is, is the limits of credibility and, and technology. Everything else they will and can do. And it was obviously timed with the summit in mind. What was it, two days ago? Yeah. Right. That's done obviously right, with the because, summit. Because but yeah. also with Russiagate hearings, which have exploded back home. I mean, yeah. the, the investigation, the... the Testimony this week of the Peter Strzok. Yeah, at uh, one of the hearings. I mean, you you desperately need to bolster up and keep it going. You know, yeah. right when it's the whole country can see at these televised Peter hearings. Peter Strzok is a, is a liar, liar, and the FBI made shit up completely about uh, about Trump. They 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 ignored Hillary's criminality and opened an investigation with a with a dodgy Russian dossier into Trump to try and. Uh, defame and discredit him. And in response to that, you know, like you just said, in response to that information coming out and the testimony of Peter Strzok, Mueller says, oh yeah, I'm indicting 12 Russians because it's real, it's true. I mean, the New York Times, like, talking about the summit, the New York Times had a, a an article, they, 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 I'll just quote it here, they said, the timing of the indictment added a jolt of tension to the already frightened atmosphere surrounding Mr. Trump's meeting with Mr. Putin. Sorry, already freighted atmosphere. It is all but certain to feed into the conspiratorial views held by the president and some of his allies that Mr. Mueller's prosecutors are determined to undermine Mr. Trump's designs for rapprochement with Russia. And notice what, 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 what's going on there. The, the, the New York Times is giving the most rational, logical explanation or conclusion as to what's actually going on with this Mueller indictment business against Russians and saying that it's conspiratorial. I mean, that's basically what the mainstream media has done and does over it and over again. They take... added the jolt of tension. Right. It's yeah. by doing that. Right. Yeah, by, by add, yeah, adding to the tension, you know. Um... And Trump swung, swung back at it in his press conference with May. He said, um, 
He, he just made an offhand reference to Russiagate and Mueller investigation. Said, "Yeah, it's all rigged. It's all a rigged witch hunt. Mm. I think we should all get along with Russia." Yeah. Uh, who was it said? Uh, Senator Chuck Schumer. Glad handing with Vladimir Putin on the heels of these indictments would be an insult to our democracy. President Trump should cancel his meeting with Vladimir Putin until Russia takes demonstrable and transparent steps to prove that they won't interfere in future elections, Schumer said. Well, you go, just hand it to him, it was gifted to him. Like, I mean, the whole point, I mean, if he's saying stuff like that, the New York Times is saying, saying stuff like that, the obvious reason why Mueller pulled 12 Russian names out of a hat and said, we are indicting these people, but we can't show you any of the evidence. Uh, the reason he did that right before the Putin-Trump meeting is because these people do not want Putin and Trump to meet. Why? Because they're afraid of what will be said. What will be said? Well, of course, it's spawned already in the context of Trump is a Putin, is a Russian agent, basically. And that's why they shouldn't meet. Because, I mean, it's, the, it's, like, it's pretty clear now. They've, they've, they've dispensed with all kind of uh, all kind of like um, you know suggestion or, 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 or subtlety or whatever now it's basically spelling it's out. pretty clear that Trump and they're going that far as, as ridiculous as it seems they're going as far as to say and some guy wrote an article actually in New York mag I think it was who basically posited the idea that Trump has been a Russian agent since 1987 right so I mean, these people are absolutely have lost the plot completely. They don't understand anything. They should be able to understand it because it's right under their noses. Uh, but because the people outlet rags like the New York Times call any thoughts in that direction in terms of what's going on, like US-Russia geopolitical war, conspiracy theory, then everybody has to dismiss it and believe the absolute horseshit that they come up with, like Trump is, has been a Russian, a full-on Russian agent since 1987. No evidence for it whatsoever. Just throw it out there, and people will scream, uh, scream it to the sky, and, and believe it. And I mean, really, I mean, you know, I've I feel sorry for ordinary people a lot in in terms of the the onslaught that they're subjected to, the media onslaught of, of lies and, and nonsense that they're that they're subjected to, and the fact that then that they repeat it as this is what they through their judicious study of the situation, uh, this is their conclusion. Trump's a Kremlin agent. No, you just read that or heard that from the New York Times. You don't think that at all. You didn't think at all in coming to that conclusion, is the point. So I have some sympathy, but it's... It's limited. Waning. It's, it's limited because in the end, you must want the BS to some extent. Yeah, some part of you must... It, it's it's part of the same psychological dynamic Identify with we discussed earlier where you hold your leaders to this incredible standard. And even in the face of revelation that say, say it, was a, it came out that Obama was like in the same thing as Hillary with the, the pedo thing and the piece of gate and the, mm. the, the weird. But that was obviously more theory. But what was proven was that they were up to something with them. Um, that, that artist and that group of people. Right. Uh, Marina something of which. Doing uh, their, like, their um, occult stuff. Anyway. What do you call them? Death. Spe spirit, spirit cooking. Spirit cooking. Spirit cooking. Thanks, God. Well, they basically I make. Mean, they had people. Yeah, just on that. They had actually. There's videos and photos of 
at, at those do's, you know, at dinners, basically, out in the open or whatever. Um, they'd make, they'd have someone make a cake, full-size cake of a human body, male and female. And, you know, with all the proper coloring and stuff, skin coloring, when you cut into it, it's like red and stuff, you know. And then they would cut that up and serve pieces of the body, you know. And, of course, the the uh, the private parts were reserved for people of the of the highest standing and stuff like that, you know. Do you, okay. like, do you like a boob or a testicle? Yeah, you know, that's the kind of stuff <laughs> they're 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 into. Yeah, and these are the people who John Podesta and, and his brother are uh, who are basically DNC. Yeah, uh, Hillary Hillary's backers, Hillary's uh, organizers. They're the people who um, it's it's big, big, big into that, you know. So it's pretty sad. I mean, uh, you're talking about moral standing. Yeah, you know, but the problem is that the ones who have the most obvious and probably the the lowest level of moral of morality are the ones who aren't elected, you know, uh, by and large. The worst of the worst are the ones who are in the shadows, and they like it that way because they couldn't stand the limelight, basically, because they would. They They're would, not accountable. Now and again, they come out like people like Dick Cheney and stuff. Uh, he was a, a bit of a an anomaly in the sense that he should never be in a public life, you know, because he couldn't even fucking break a smile, you know. Yeah, when he tried to, ever half a when, smile. When he tried to smile, he would just sneer. <laughs> yeah, he'd growl at you, you know. So uh, he's not uh, not a good candidate for, for for public life, public service, as they call it. But the other thing on the on the Mueller investigation is people forget as well that back in uh, May, Mueller indicted two Russians on the slightly separate uh, part of his investigation, which was into the 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 hacking of the election or the swaying of the election for Trump by the internet, the Russian so-called Internet Research Agency right. and Putin's chef and people like that, apparently, and a bunch of other people associated on a company that was spreading memes on Facebook like Jesus and the devil mm -hmm. and saying, which one do you want to win and stuff and that somehow swung it for, for, for Putin. But So he actually indicted two people. For Trump, but yeah. Or for, for, <laughs> not for Putin, for Trump. Whatever. Yeah, same thing. Uh, um, he indicted two people back then and uh, from this company that was accused of spreading these memes on Facebook and Twitter. And uh, he thought he could just do the indictment and move on then. Yeah, indicted, they're done. They're more or less in jail. They're kind of figuratively, we'll put those put people in jail figuratively, basically. Uh, no evidence, just, you know, tried and convicted, no evidence, in jail, indicted. That's what indicted means. Indict you means, in you go. I say you're a bad person, bye-bye. Uh, moving on to the next group. Um, he did that with two people, and obviously they had to go through a formal kind of filing of the documents in court, uh, which actually indicts the people. And as an indictment, you're meant to actually uh, appear in court. You're, uh, you're summoned to court then to, 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 to stand trial or to answer questions. And uh, and your accuser has to be there as well, obviously. To, and uh, when that happened, Mora thought he'd just get away with indicting these two people. But they actually turned up, said, yep, I'm going to go to court. Uh, and actually, we want full disclosure. We want to see all of the details about... Uh, all of your all of your allegations against us, all of the things you claim we did, um, and also how you got this information, and you have to show us that you how you, you have to prove to us that this is us. How you how you can say that we are the ones who made these memes? And and, and Mueller just shit his pants basically uh, when that happened, and when hang on, this is meant to happen, um, and he tried to delay the case, right? And 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 he didn't show up in court. Uh, no, no, I'm not going to talk to those guys. Not talk to them. No, not at all. No, I meant to just say they're bad people, and that's it. No, so, uh, and then the judge said, no, no delay. We're going to carry on. So I think just recently they they were 
you know, there are filings, where I don't know if they appeared in court, but, you know, they have lawyers working have lawyers, and stuff. Yeah. And uh, at this point, uh, the only thing Mueller can do is when they've asked for a disclosure, basically, for uh, show us all the information, Mueller said, no, it's uh, national security, uh, too sensitive information, we can't, uh, can't show any of that to you. And so they're basically, they've, they've filed a motion to dismiss the case. So ultimately, what's going to happen on that Putin chef and watch it happen. I mean, mark my words, watch this happen, that those allegations of some internet, Russian internet research agency or some company in Russia using Facebook memes, Twitter memes to influence the election, that case is going to be dismissed, thrown out of court for lack of evidence. So jump ahead to when that happens. And, and now, before jumping ahead that happens, now remember, because it's very fresh in your mind, remember the past year of horseshit, the deluge of horseshit that you have been subjected to, claiming that that was hard and fast facts and truth, that Russia definitely used memes to sway the election, and jump forward to the inevitable future, which isn't probably very far away, when that case will be dismissed by a U.S. court for lack of evidence. A Kremlin Assholes. Yeah. And that goes everybody, all the Mueller, all of the people, the Democrats, and every single individual on this planet who believe that horseshit. You are an asshole. I'm sorry to have to say that, but that's what you are. It's going to be you breaking the news because I'm afraid the media will say nothing about it. No, uh, it people won't hear about it. Yeah. But they'll still be assholes. The guy in question is actually a billionaire. I mean, he had the resources to come back into court. And if he is Kremlin connected, well, of course he was going to come back and expose that, that it was a sham. Yeah. Um, but in the end, I think these guys don't care um, because the point is to, to have something in the news to keep it rolling. It's just like this current indictment with these next 12 people. Mm. It's baseless. It's going to be proven to be baseless, but it's the news value of the dynamic narratives as it unfolds. What's happening next? Crap, he's going to meet Putin. Right, we need something now. Right. Um, on a different but related subject, the Novichok stories kept ticking over this week. I know it's a sort of disappeared, but there's one update. British detectives um, investigating the two people, uh, uh, one of whom has died, but allegedly by this nerve agent, but um, the woman has died in hospital um they said they have found a small bottle apparently a month after the fact during searches of her house and scientists have tested the contents of this bottle and confirmed that it is novichok yeah that's just about as credible as right so a month later you find a bottle in the home which you missed what the first 10 searches and the bottle is literally a small vial of Novichok, and it says Novichok on it. Where? In whose home? In the home of, I think it was the man, actually, in Rowley, in yeah. Charlie Rowley's home. So what's it doing in his home? The home of the homeless guy. Yeah. What's it doing in his home? Ten miles from Porton Down. What's it doing there? How did, what, what's, what's, the, the, what's the narrative? The Russian KGB agents, KGB, because they're still KGB, because it's still, you know, they're still communists, so... Uh, the Russian KGB agents came over to the UK they with vials of Novichok. They went into this uh, homeless guy's squat where he was shooting up heroin. Uh, and they hung out with him for a while. And they dropped a vial of this very, very important Novichok stuff that's deadly. 
they just dropped it there and walked away, right? You wouldn't, they didn't take it with them. They left it in somebody's house. We're, That's the narrative. We're you left, see, I guess, because they don't tell us, because the next paragraph immediately says, police are still looking into where the bottle came from and how it came to be there. You see the kind of horseshit that we have to deal with uh, uh, that, that passes as, as responsible journalism or responsible government or a serious investigation? We actually have to, have to stomach that. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a massive insult to everybody's intelligence. And what's even worse is that anybody would not have the wherewithal or the integrity or even the due diligence to just think about it and go, that story sounds like a load of bullshit, you know? And is there another reason then why uh, this story about the Skripals and Russia poisoning people in the UK is falling apart and doesn't make any sense? Well, maybe the reason that the story falls apart and doesn't make any sense is because it's not true. Oh, oh, okay. Well, maybe. So if it's not true, that means that somebody's lying about Russia. Now, why would they lie about Russia? Why is somebody... Just follow the F and logic through. Why would they be lying about Russia? Why would someone want to lie about Russia and the Russian government at this high level and defame them at, at, at this level of public discourse and, and smear their names across countries and continents, basically, around the world? Try why would anybody do that? Obviously, if someone is doing that, they've got some reasons. Then follow it through. You know, is there something going on between with Russia and the way Russia is under Putin, uh, that it seems to be at least a very serious threat to people in Western countries that they would make up stories like this about Russia to try and smear and blacken Russia's name. What is it about Russia that threatens or scares these people so much? You know, I just took you through three simple steps of deductive reasoning. It's the kind of stuff, you, you know, you, you, the kind of logic you would follow when you're looking for your freaking car keys. It's not rocket science. So why can't people do it? Are they assholes? Uh, they I'm being mean to people. They're just stupid. They want to believe the lies. It's why can't they then apply it to Trump? Obviously, Russia figures heavily in American domestic politics vis-a-vis -vis Trump. Everything Trump versus NATO. Trump going to meet Putin. It's Russia, Russia, Russia. How can you not connect these dots? How can you how can you connect some of the dots? I've seen some Corbynistas again um, in other contexts calling Salisbury false flag, going this or at least this is BS. This stinks to high heaven. They're watching their fellow England fans having a great time in Russia, where they're not thrown into a gulag. They're actually is actually a normal country. Realizing they're being lied to daily by the media, they know this, and then turn around and get out there and scream at the sky literally because of that bloody. Trump right. blimp that's there. You racist, you fat bastard. And they can't, Do you not and, connect what you just said yourself a week ago? And they can't make the connection between the defamation of Russia, which they, which they admit is nonsense, is, 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 a, is a, a put up job, it's, it's, it's all lies. They can't make the connection with the demonization of Russia by their government and the demonization of Trump for being friends with Russia. And therefore, should they not conclude that maybe the stuff, if the stuff they're saying about Russia in terms of poisoning people in the UK isn't, is probably not true, then maybe the stuff they're saying about Trump and Russia is also part of the same thing because they're using, uh, they're demonizing Russia while demonizing Trump. They put Putin and Trump together and both of them get demonized. So then maybe, so they're demonizing Trump as well. These same people want to demonize Trump 
uh, does that maybe mean then that the stuff that I have absorbed from the media about Trump that has led me to scream, you fat orange tosser at the blimp in the sky, is maybe not true as well? And maybe I should use my brain and think this through a little bit? That, that level of reasoning is, is completely lost on people because of what? Because of ideology? Because they just like... People like... I mean, that protest in the UK the other day, tens of thousands of people in London and stuff, they were all just there for the, for the fun of it. Like, they all just were having... It was a sunny day, it was nice and warm, it was so. the middle of July, and they were there and for the a bit of fun. And the blimp looked cool. You know? Well, you know what? If you're there for a party, have a party, but shut the hell up. You know? I you think... Don't, if you're there, just admit that, that you're just there for a party and you don't have any input, any reasonable, rational, helpful input on what's actually going on on a global scale in terms of geopolitics and stuff. You have no idea whatsoever. You're an idiot. Shut up and go away. Exactly. Or go and do your goddamn homework and think things through. Otherwise, shut the hell up because yeah. you have nothing constructive to add. Exactly. And unfortunately, these people dominate the media. Uh, the worst place they can possibly be with, with some pretty strong, big, powerful soapboxes, they absolutely should not be, be in any kind of position to vocalize at least too loudly. You can let them have Twitter accounts, but you know, and this is, this is part of the whole thing. They hate Trump. One thing they do connect at least reasonably well into a coherent argument is they go, well, you see, Trump's an authoritarian. Putin's also an authoritarian. Even if there's no actual evidence that you know, they're, they're working together in some way, they get the same kind of vibe from both. And they'll throw into the ring um, Orban of Hungary, uh, Le Pen in France, uh, string of others. They're authoritarian. And I'm thinking there that there's some, there is something there that they recognize and that they instinctively, maybe intellectually even, don't like. I think it's something roughly like this. They fear a tyrant. And it's greatly exaggerated in their mind. But they fear a tyrant, in quotes, let's say, because he, usually he or she, will come in and clamp down in step or overnight their ability to get on those soapboxes and have a lot of fun with what they're doing. And it's taken to the extremes where, you know, the whole, it, it's gone so crazy that we've had the whole transgender issue and the transgender toilets and the extreme proliferation of a very, very small minority of people, really having incredible amount of fun flaunting and even you know getting laws passed that mandate everyone else see the world as they do and they they fear the tyrant coming in and just at least putting a cap on it never mind rolling it back to the 1950s as hillary clinton says oh well all these people they're just throwback to the 1950s or the 1850s well people's people's desire for a leader or their author authoritarian follower nature, which is self-evident, is predicated on at least some awareness that people are no good on their own, that they can't handle things uh, on their own, that they shouldn't get together in a big rabble and, uh, and you know, rally for, for change and for overthrowing this or overthrowing that. I mean, that's, that's, that's why people, that's why you have hierarchies, that's why people select uh, leaders to lead them and to make decisions for them because there's some latent awareness that they're no good on their own, that they shouldn't be allowed to do the thing that, that you just said they want to do. So it's like it's, it's people have just lost the plot, basically. It's kind of like, uh, it's like some Saturnalia or 
Dionysian kind of like uh, orgy, orgiastic kind of uh, impulse or something for everybody to get in the street and just let it all hang out. Is that what is that what's going on? Because pretty much, and there is an argument I've heard it said, and it made sense when it was said to me. Um, what all these people are really calling for, not don't forget the words and what they're saying. They're actually calling for authoritarians in quotes to come up and put them back in their place. Right. They really, they're, they're all of this is a kind of as a in total natural function. It's these kinds of people rising up and causing shit because they want someone to come back in and to get them to calm the hell down. Um, at least unconsciously, that would make sense. If mm. you were to sit down and try and psychoanalyze them, that makes sense to me. Uh, forget what they're saying. They do actually want the strong leader type to come in and limit their freedom to yeah, cause but, mayhem. Right, but they have to create the mayhem for the leader to come in and do it. And so that, that society. Had, if you think about it, that is what has happened. There's been mayhem and along comes Trump. There's mayhem and along, well, in Russia's case, the mayhem happened in the 90s, but there he is, he came along. In the US, you had Black Lives Matter, identity politics, you know, uh, all sorts of brewing or, or growing uh, social uh, division, divisiveness and stuff, and then along comes Trump, uh, and a lot of people vote for him, because and they realize... It's a truism that you get mm. the leader you need. Mm. But then people scream and wail and, and complain about him, at least half of the population does. The ones who want to just let it all hang out. It's not half the population. They'd like you to think it is. Yeah, I don't it, think is. it is. No. You think so? No, I don't, well, in the US, I don't mm. think it is, no. I think it's probably maybe 30, 40% maximum. There's another, and I think this is a connected thing. There's another aspect of this. Um, let, let's say we don't just leave it at their assholes, because that will obviously... That obviously They're monkeys. Can we call them monkeys? Yes, but only insofar as we all have simian genes, all right? So we're all in this together. But, but they have to speaking, recognize the simian speaking genes. Speaking of evolutionary psychology, I go back to what I've thought before. Listen, at this point... There have been so many shocks to the system. There have been so many opportunities for people to wake up roughly, get woke, and get the gist of how things are and how things really are versus vis-a-vis -vis how much they could idealistically be. At this point, you either get it or you don't. And I'm quite convinced that what we're seeing is merely the consolidation of the portion of people, however large or small, who do not have the conceptual ability to grok it. They might talk big about international solidarity and humanitarianism and saving the world and saving the planet. They use the terms, but actually their concepts, they, they're, uh, they don't have the, the software, yeah, frankly. Well, it gets back to Jonathan Haidt's kind of moral taste buds, right? And two, and, there are two, and, and two and basic it's, species. It's, but it's deeper than that, in the sense, deeper than those moral taste buds where, you know, if, if you... People listen probably know about that, that book. Uh, what is it? Um, what's the title, Neil? Um, the Righteous Mind. The Righteous Mind, yeah. Um, he talks about, you know, basically the differences in, in I suppose, the value system of, of different people, you know, left versus right. Um, but I think it's actually, it's a bit deeper than that. Those value systems are indicative or point to something else. It's something a bit more fundamental. And it's, People who recognize their their station or their their position in the grand scheme of things, who have a vague, if only intuitive 
uh, awareness or subtle awareness of their their position. They're kind of, let's say, very rel relatively lowly positioned <clears throat> in the grand scheme of things. Whereas other people who don't have that ability or, or cannot recognize that or are unable to recognize that and recognize that and see themselves as basically potential, uh, you know, creator gods or something like that, or, or people who basically see themselves. It's a kind of subjective, a, a massive subjectivity in the sense of they only see themselves and they are this, essentially the center of the universe. They're the be all and end all. And they, especially together in a group of people who think the same way or have the ability to uh, transform society into some kind of utopia. Basically, there's nothing, there's nothing higher than them. There's people who aren't, uh, aren't able to recognize anything higher than them and other people who can recognize something higher than them. And the people who can recognize something higher than themselves know that that higher power, let's say, is uh, not to be trifled with. That it can bring on large-scale kind of problems, destruction. destruction in society, and you don't want to rock the boat. These other people are just like, kind of like petulant children in a certain sense, or arrogant teenagers who think they are the be-all and end-all, and they're going to make it all happen. And, and that, for me, that's kind of like a, the, the division between those two types of people, and that's the kind of conflict that's going on, going on today. And that, that manifests as the ones who recognize something higher than themselves and see themselves have an awareness of their, their position in life, they're the ones who tend to be conservative or traditionalist. The ones who are the arrogant know-it-all teenagers who only see themselves uh, are the ones who tend to be leftists who want to uh, transform the world into, uh, well, something in their own image, basically, mm -hmm. is what it comes down to. Their own likeness. They're basically like God, you know. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's a problem. That doesn't have a solution, by the way. That's where we're at. Yes. Yeah. There's a lot more we could say about what happened last week. I mean, some of Trump's comments um, weighing in on <laughs> on his way to the summit in Brussels. Uh, <laughs> what did you think of his comment about um, Germany being a captive of Russia because of its gas pipelines? Well, there's that's that's one example and there are several others that we could cite that blow the whole idea of trumping uh a kremlin agent or in bed with putin completely out of the water but again we're faced with this complete inability to look at simple facts and deduce simple conclusions from them because I don't know, because they read it in the media and the media must tell them the truth and, and that's all they know and they don't, they don't need their brains, so donate them to science, you know? Basically, yeah. So why would Trump, as a Putin, as a Kremlin agent, uh, take this pr approach uh, to, to, to Russia over Germany, basically saying, trying to stop something, a, an extremely important economic and strategic uh, project of Russia's, i.e. Nord Stream 2, delivering gas from Russia to Germany, Trump has just taken aim at it and fired and he's basically saying they need to stop doing that russia that that pipeline needs to be cancelled i mean that's probably that's kind of like kicking russia in the balls but he's a kremlin agent oh but he's doing it you see to to, to make us think that he's not a kremlin oh, f off you know just take a fucking hike you know people who talk that kind of shit you know there's loads of other stuff Tr trump like what last year what did he boot out 60 diplomats 
yes. Although I, the story is that he was the last to find out about that. Well, whatever. It he, happened under his he watch. He thought it was going to be six or something, and it was multiplied. He's, 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 you know, in Syria. He's, like, bombing Syria, bombing Duma, firing Tomahawk cruise missiles at Russia, basically, at Russia's, uh, infra- Russia's project in Syria. He's firing Tomahawk cruise missiles. What, what part of this is... is uh, it makes him a criminal agent. It makes him the exact opposite of it. It's ridiculous. And as for his stupid claim that Germany, obviously he's just trying to make the point, he's just trying to get people to, you know, agree that, or to trying to sway people to be against Nord Stream 2, calling uh, Germany, uh, uh, what do you say, a colony? Um, pretty much. He, a captive. A, a captive, captive of Russia. Germany's a captive of Russia. Yeah. America has 38 military bases and 42,000 troops across that's, Germany. That's Who's the, the effing captive, you right. big orange douchebag? Well, this is it. He left himself wide open to that response. But in itself, he had a point, just from that economic nationalist point of view. right? So what he exactly said was, I think it's a horrible thing what Germany's doing. How can you be working for peace and working from strength when somebody has that kind of power over you? Right. Well, that's all true. Yeah, but tough shit. But then it applies that's to the geopoli- United States. That's, 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 that's geopolitical realities. Germany is relatively a stone's throw away from Russia. Where's it going to get its gas from when Russia is the biggest global gas producer? Where's, where's, where's Germany going to look to? Look to America? F- you know, 5,000 5, kilometers across the Atlantic? Liquefied natural gas for twice the price? Yeah, buy some of that instead? Why? Yeah. Because ideologically you should be, you're our friend. Well, yeah. But actually, Trump, you just kind of broke those kind of that, that those ties in yeah. that friendship recently by saying, you know, uh, you all are going to have to fly on your own. Well, you know what, Trump, you just said that Germany has to fly on its own now. You know, the whole Cold War, post-World War II, international order where America protected Europe is over. Well, in that case, we're going to build Nord Stream 3 because, you know, it makes economic sense. And why wouldn't we? We've got to look, we gotta, we gotta look uh, elsewhere for protection now, right? I wish they would say that, of course, but they're still all caught up in the NATO horseshit. But has Trump not, between the lines, or even explicitly, now he says one thing and rapidly in the next sentence it's the opposite, but has he not explicitly said, what's the point of NATO anyway? I.e., has he not threatened to disband it or remove the U.S. from it? The thing with Trump is everything that Trump says you have to consider it in the context of his stupid art of the deal business, which isn't that stupid, in fact, because apparently it works. And it's not that strange. But it's basically where he just makes exaggerated or very high bids, basically. He, he demands a lot more or makes threats that he's going to demand a lot more than he actually wants to, uh, that he would actually agree to. So he basically aims really high, knowing that he'll settle for a lot less. So for me, the everything he says, like in that context of, you know, Let's break up, you know, what, what good is NATO for anyway? Possibly talking about the disbandment of NATO. And, of course, it would be disbanded if America walked away from it. Uh, he's not going to do that. But he's doing that in an effort to apply pressure to European countries he, to pay more money. Because he, he wants money. Because the bottom line is his mandate is, show me the money. He got everything he wanted from the summit, by the way. The yeah. agree, agreement they came to at the end was that everyone would at least meet the the two percent commitment, and then he went higher and said, "I want four percent commitment." Right. And apparently, they're they're amenable to that as well. They are prepared to pay in. This is the, this is the part of that I'm not quite sure about. It. European elites seem to want NATO more than Trump. Okay, well, let's let's put that aside for a second. That's what it seems at this at this point in time. 
on the flip side, if Trump is all about breaking up the EU, and that would pretty much break up NATO, does, well, does he want to see those hundreds of billions going to U.S. military contractors from NATO vassals, or does he want NATO gone? You know what I mean? It's like it's, he's just it's, he's just testing the water. There's nothing clear about what he actually wants, but other than money, he wants money. We'll get the money first, and we'll worry about the ideology yeah, and, how, exactly. and how the alliance looks later. Right. Yeah. Anyway, um, I think we're going to leave it there for this week because uh, that's about all of the Trump, America, EU, Brits, and Putin bashing I can take for, for one sitting. Um, of course, we'll have to do it again at some point because it's not really going to go away. Exactly. It's ongoing. It's I mean it's gonna keep keep coming up. It'll probably only get worse. The chaos will just increase and the fecklessness and idiocy will just reach uh, hitherto unknown levels basically and we have to steal ourselves to deal with it because uh, it tends to rub me the wrong way on particular days. Anyway, um yeah, so we'll leave it there for this week. We hope you enjoyed the show. We'll be back next time with something else, depending on what happens. So stay tuned for that. See ya. See you next week. Bye.